Turn to the, to the book of Luke, beginning there, the book of Luke. Young people, you do it too. The book of Luke, chapter number one. Luke, chapter number one. We're going to be there, and we're also going to be in the book of Matthew. Matthew, chapters number one and two. Luke, chapter number one and two, and Matthew, chapter number one and two. We're excited not about the Christmas play. We are... Uh, Jason's mentioned that I was talking to Sunday school. I don't really get the spirit, Christmas spirit, seems until like Christmas play night. And I'm, it settles me. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for Christmas. So looking forward to tonight. I want to encourage you to come. Uh, the kids are uh, growing and they are doing braver things for Jesus, and we're proud of them. We're proud of the work that's been going on in their lives. We're thankful for today. Amen. We're glad what God is doing. Amen. Lots, and we appreciate that. And I told uh, Wednesday night our prayer room, mentioned pray for the kids because they were nervous. It is good for them to be, to feel inadequate doing things for Jesus. It's good because you have to trust God. You have to ask the Lord to help you. You have to uh, live by faith. And it's good for our kids to be nervous and to pray and ask the Lord to give them strength. And it's also good to be rewarded, their faith to be rewarded, that they're nervous and they pray about it. We need to teach them to do that. Hey, when you do things for God, your flesh, your mind, your body, the world don't want you to do it. But you do it because God wants you to do it. And then you're scared and you're nervous and you pray about it and you trust the Lord. And it's good also to have your faith rewarded that while you're doing something that you're nervous doing for Jesus, that He's helping you do it. And you, you learn the strength of God. And you realize, I didn't, I was nervous, I was scared, but I'm doing it for Jesus. And it's true, Philippians 4.13 gets played out in their life and they find out that they can do all things through Christ which strengthens them. And so it's good for them. That their faith would be tested. So we're glad to be a part of that. Amen. So the book of the book of Luke, we're going to start there. This is this sermon's, of course, about Christmas. Uh, this will be, I think, a simple sermon. This is you think about it like what is the sermon about? Well, maybe you could think of it what Christmas can teach us. Or it is a summary of the Christmas story. So we're going to begin Luke chapter number one. The first scene. The first scene in the Christmas story that we basically have an understanding of in our mind, the first scene is when Gabriel appears to Mary. So we're going to begin Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 31. Gabriel told Mary, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Could you imagine what, she's, what just hit her? She's never been with a man. Oh, you're going to have a baby. She's a virgin. And this baby 
he is, he's going to be called Jesus. So Mary don't get to pick his name. He's going to be called Jesus. He's the son of the highest. He's the son of God. He'll be the throne of his father David. He's the promised Messiah. She understands what this means. So Mary, your child, your virgin-born child, you've never known a man, you're going to call him Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Verse number 33, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. And thank you, Lord, for... For this Christmas story. And I pray, Lord, just simply in its simplicity, Lord, we can appreciate your coming into the world this Christmas season. And Lord, this morning and tonight, we can leave this day with a greater appreciation of your glory and your majesty and the gift, Father, that you gave us in your beloved Son. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. In your name, Jesus, Lord, we ask these things. Amen. So here we see the greatest truth, I believe, of the Christmas story is the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ. Now, I've told you before that Jesus was born, born physically any, like any way that all the other babies were born. But it's his conception that's miraculous. That he was, he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. And she knew not a man. We understand what that means. And we see that the gospel, as it always does here, is intersecting the life of Mary. Unexpectedly. Unplanned. And God just erupts onto the scene of her life. And tells her something miraculous that's going to happen. The same thing is true for any believer that's ever believed on Jesus, that God is, he interrupts their life and he shares them great news. And he says that this is unto you, you can have a Savior. And the gospel from the beginning of the Christmas story is clearly seen that God has, that an unexpected, humble handmaiden has found favor with God, that God would think of her, that God would give her this great gift and not only for her, and it, it was given to her, this humble woman, this young girl who lives in a humble place so that you and I can see the truth that Jesus is offered for you and me too. That he, God has given us a great gift in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Jesus is the literal fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That he is the promised seed that all nations of the earth will be blessed. So it's not just for Mary. Jesus is for all of us. That all of us can have Christ through faith in Him. And we can know the Son of God and He can be our Savior. This miraculous conception has to be this way. That Jesus cannot be tainted by the DNA of Joseph, Mary's fiancé. That Joseph can't help at all. That Jesus has to be virgin born. Jesus cannot have share in our sinfulness. And so how's God going to save us? God invades his creation. 
And he is, he is born, yes, like you and I, but he's conceived miraculously because he's not a sinner. He's not born a sinner. So God in gave us his son Jesus miraculously that the creator God invades his own creation to save his creation from their sins. And Jesus is sinless because he doesn't have the genetic makeup of you and I. He is fully human, the son of Mary, but he's also fully God, the son of God. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit. My children, unfortunately, are born sinners. Now, we think they're great, but they are sinners. And they need Jesus just like all the other kids need Jesus. Because they're sinners, the reason is, is because their dad is a sinner. And unfortunately, I passed on my sinfulness to my children. And so it's ever been that way until God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That we are partakers of flesh and blood, but God, in the likeness of sinful flesh, gave his only begotten son that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And in the likeness of sinful flesh, he bore the sin of sinners. And in the likeness of sinful flesh, what does that mean? It means he's flesh, he's like us, but completely different. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he, in the likeness of sinful flesh, Hebrews chapter 2, by the grace of God tasted death for every man, that he also took part of the same, that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he should die for those who were dead. And the only way he could do it was that he had to become human. And the only way he could take your sin and my sin upon himself was that he had to be sinless and he could not die for sinners if he was a sinner. And Jesus Christ came sinlessly through a miraculous conception to save us from our sins. Amen? And so the next scene is that the angel of the Lord next appears to Joseph. And I don't blame God for doing it. In Matthew chapter number 1, Joseph finds out that his fiancée is pregnant. And he thinks, how can this be? Because I've not been with my fiancée. Because, listen young people, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. So can you prove that? Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 Paul the Apostle said it's not good for a man to touch a woman, but if he, if, he can't, if, he, if he can't be celibate, then let him marry, but don't touch her till you get married. You see? see Where is that in the Bible? There it is. We see that all throughout Scripture. So Joseph, he's, he's, he's found out his fiancée's pregnant, and he's really worried about that because you would be too, man. You would be too. And the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream. And in Matthew chapter number 1, the next scene of the Christmas story, so scene number 1, did you get it? Miraculous conception. And it had to be that way because that's the only way that Jesus can bear the sin of many because he had to be sinless. And he could not have the genetic makeup of his father Joseph. And so scene number 2, Joseph finds out his bride-to-be is pregnant. Did you imagine the heartache 
Now listen, just because, notice there's a trend here, Mary asked, how can this be? How can I, who know not a man, give birth to a child and conceive in my womb the Son of God, the Son of David, the, the, the promised seed of Jacob who will rule over his people, Israel, so she says, how can this be? So just because you can't figure it out yet, don't mean it's not the will of God. And so Joseph, same thing. He finds out, Joseph knows how it happened in his mind. How can this be? He's like, Mary was unfaithful to her betrothal vows to me. And so God appears to Joseph in a dream in Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 2, scene number 2. And God says to Joseph, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For, she, for he shall save his people from their sins. I should have verse 21st where the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 21, God says to Joseph, And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now what does Jesus mean? It means God saves. It means Lord is salvation. So you're going to call him God saves. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. So here's the gospel, the Christmas story. Here's what it's teaching us. Is that God had to be conceived. Jesus had to be conceived miraculously in the womb of a virgin in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, Romans chapter 8, that he might destroy him who all of our lifetime we were under bondage, Hebrews number 2, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man and the only way he who knew no sin who could become sin for us is that he had to be virgin born. So he's sinless. And the next scene of the Christian story teaches us that you're going to call him Jesus, just like we told Mary, and he shall save his people from their sins. So scene number two is teaching us this, is that you and I are spiritually bankrupt in desperate, I wish I had another word to describe it, in deep need of salvation. That we can't save ourselves. None of us can do it. God had to be conceived in the womb of Mary. That none of us could save ourselves. None of us had it in us. Not one man born of woman could do it. And the only way that it could be done was by God. Only God can do it. Only God can save. Only God can make a plan. Only hope you have is God. And so, what is Christmas teaching us? It's teaching us that you and I are unable to save ourselves from our sins. For He shall save His people from their sins. This is a worthy saying, Paul said, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world. Some might think, I thought he came in the world to give me Christmas. Jesus Christ came into the world to save you from your sins. Amen. This is a worthy saying, worthy of all acceptation, Paul said, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. That's why Jesus came. 
If, if one died for all, then all are dead. Here's what we do. You better be good or you won't get presents. That's what we do, isn't it? Santa's checking his list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa only comes if you're good. Jesus only came because we're bad. That's the only reason he came. He checked his list once or twice. Even in the back of the book of Psalms, the psalmist said, There is none that seeketh to understand. There is none that doeth good. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is for all our lips are perverse. They're like an open grave full of rotten dead men's bones, unembalmed human flesh in an open grave. It's an open sepulcher. We are filthy. We are vile. We are wretched. We are unbecoming. We are unrighteous. We are not pretty. We are unbeautiful. Our hearts are corrupt. Our imaginations are evil continually. That's why Jesus came. That's why I came. So what should the Christmas season do to us? It should give us a deep sense of our sinfulness and depravity, therefore bringing us to a point of worship, gratitude, and humility in His presence and thanking God for this unspeakable gift. That's Christmas. Scene number three. We turn to the book of Luke. Chapter number two. It came to pass in those days, you know, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And so here comes Mary and Joseph from Nazareth, because he's going to be a Nazarene, and he goes to Bethlehem. Mary, Joseph, and the baby in her womb. It's a baby in her womb. It's a human being in her womb. And his name is Jesus. And the baby in the womb, and Mary and Joseph, Head down to Bethlehem because it has some scripture has to be fulfilled that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born from the house of David in the Bethlehem meaning house of bread. So fitting, isn't it? It's like it's like the whole thing's been planned out, isn't it? It's like we didn't make up our own religion. It's as if the gospel of Jesus Christ was created, thought up, ordained, and commissioned by God. For he is the author and the finisher of our faith. You did nothing. You have no hand in God's grace. Scene number three. There's no room in the inn, remember. And in verse number seven, they go to a manger scene. And we're at the manger scene in Luke chapter two, verse seven. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And notice the Bible is like constantly saying he's virgin born. Don't get it mixed up, folks. Don't taint the message. She did not know a man. She's aware she didn't know a man. She says, how can this be? I've not known a man. Joseph is wringing his hands, thinking upon these things, how he can put her away privately because he knows he hadn't been with her. And then the Bible is distinctly clear once more. Her firstborn son. She's not been with anybody. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, 
and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This third scene in the Christmas story, it gives us a mental image. If you think about it, you put everything together of God's great love for humanity here. There's not a person, I think, that can't see it. Jesus' birth is so humble, so inviting, that anybody can go and see. Everybody's welcome in the manger scene. Not all of us can get in the inn. Even Jesus couldn't. Not all of us could afford a ticket. But everybody can go to the barn. Everybody can go to the pasture. Everybody can go to the manger scene. For our sakes, He became poor so that we might become rich. The manger scene too teaches us to focus on the gift. That we're not distracted by glitter or glamour or gold or silver or Christmas trees or, 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 or images of, a, of candy dancing in our head. No, all we see is Jesus. That's all we see is Christ. Everything else is so humble and meager and insignificant. But there in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is the Messiah. It's the promised Savior. He? How could He save us from our sins? Mary, did you know? Did you know who He is? Do you know what He is going to grow into? Do you know he's going to walk on water? Do you know he's going to stand in a cemetery in John chapter 11 and say, Lazarus, come forth? Do you know he's the one who's going to feed the 4,000 and feed the 5,000? That he's the one healed, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He wasn't born at Fort Sanders or Women's Pavilion. He wasn't born even in a car. That would have been better. But he's the one. How can this be? For God has chose the foolishness of the world to confound them who are wise. God has shown us that He is for everyone who would come to see. All can come and see. Look, look, look at the one. Is He the one who will die on a cross? Yes, it's Him. How can it be Him? How can no one notice? How can His birth appear to be so insignificant? But don't despise the day of small things. Just because the world ain't going crazy about Jesus don't mean that heaven's not going crazy about Jesus. Come down, angels. Come down quickly. The Savior is born. The promised Messiah. The Son of God. He's born. Here come the angels praising God and saying, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Scene number four, the lowly shepherds, they're hanging out there in the fields of Bethlehem in the same country. Verse number eight, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. Now, who are these guys hanging out in the fields of Bethlehem? Now, it's kind of hard to prove it, but we do know they're shepherds. God wants us to know that. And we do know they are keeping a flock. And we do know the persons of the flock belong to the Lord. These are quite possibly the sacrificial lambs growing up in Bethlehem to be sacrificed. 
for the sins of the people. But these shepherds fully know. And see number four, the shepherds in the field are saying what to us, to the shepherds? Hey, listen, he is the one. It's him. All the other lambs can never do it, but he is the one. What's the application? Jesus is the one. He's the one. Don't miss him. He's the single most important human being ever born in this world to your life. He's more important than your dad. He's more important than your mom. He's more important than your husband and your wife. He's more important than all of your money and all of your health. He's the one. He's the one. Behold him. Go look at him. Could also be some historians have suggested that the, the swaddling clothes, the shepherds understood that full well because it's possible that the firstborn of the flock that was spotless and perfect and pure, that the shepherds would wrap him up in swaddling clothes to make sure no limbs are broken until he gets his feet under him and make him tight and make him straight and protect him. And the thought is, too, back then that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes, obviously to keep him warm. They tuck him tight like burritos, don't they, Pat? But also because the thought was to keep him straight so the limbs would be straight. They wrap him up in swaddling clothes. It's just a mom trying to do everything she can, don't you see it, to make everything right by her boy. And boy, he's straight, isn't he? And he's strong, and he's sturdy, and he's righteous. And so when the shepherds get to the manger scene, they see this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. They might get this thought in their mind, wait a minute. He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He's the one. There's nobody more important than Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that there's nothing in your life more important than the one that God sent to save you from your sins. Nobody's more important than him. Last one, scene number five. In the book of Matthew, we won't, we won't read much or maybe any at all, but the, we know in Matthew chapter number two, possibly Jesus is a toddler here. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the wise men, they come, the fifth scene, and the wise men come, and they ask in verse number two, where is he? What a question, right? Where is he? And let me be cliche because it's so appropriate here. Wise men still seek after Jesus. If he's the one the angels are singing about, then he's the one worth looking into. If he's the promised Messiah, then he's the one that should draw our attention. Where is he born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. In verse number three, Jesus puts all rulers on notice that he's the king of kings. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And they better be because Jesus Christ is the king of all kings. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. And he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. And Paul said he's the only blessed potentate. That means there is no authority on earth higher than Jesus Christ. Potentate means ruler. There's no ruler on earth higher than Jesus. And then Jesus ascends after he rose from the dead. 
And he says, all power is given to me, not only in earth, but also in heaven and in earth. And then Philippians chapter number 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not right or be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself as an obedient, even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, your tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And your knee will bow. And you will bow in his presence. And you're going to confess with your mouth that the babe born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, insignificantly to most minds, is the ruler of heaven and earth. And he puts all rulers on notice. And some might think, well, I'm no king. Yeah, but you think you're your own king. You think, well, I'm no sovereign. But you, yeah, but you think that you can do whatever you want. And there is no Bible, no sin, no preacher, no church, not anybody. Your mom, your dad, your old mama and papa that are stuck in their ways. Yeah, you're so progressive and open-minded. You're so enlightened that you think that there's no ruler over your life. And you can do anything that you want to do. And you can act any way that you want to act. And you can say anything that you want to say. And you can live your life in oblivion and not pay attention whatsoever. And be so humanistic that you are the center of your own universe. And you think everybody and everything is revolving around you and your opinions and what you want and what you think. And you think that you love yourself more than anything. And you think there's no way possible. Sure, go on. Live your life cluelessly, skipping around your life thinking there's no king or ruler over me. But one of these days, you're going to have to say it. You're going to have to do it. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. What is Christmas all about? Listen, I'm going to try to summarize it. That God is sovereignly in control of the universe. At any moment, a virgin can conceive. And at any second, a man can have a dream. At any moment, a baby can be born. At any moment in time, God can do whatever he wants to. The baby's going to grow up and they're going to kill him. But even Jesus said, don't you know, for this reason I came into this world. I want to be on that cross. You put me on that cross. This is the only reason I came. I even told my disciples I'm going to be crucified, handed over to sinful men. I'm going to be betrayed. You're going to scatter like sheep. When the shepherd's smitten, the sheep will scatter. I'm telling you, I am in charge of it all. Even the star. Come here, star of Bethlehem. Come here. I want you to hang over here. And I want some wise men to think, huh, that's odd. Don't think it's odd that God can move stars, create stars, kill stars. He can do whatever he wants to do. You might think, oh, I don't believe that. Fine, but you're going to bow and you're going to confess that he is the Lord. The Lord. Of all things. Christmas is pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty awesome, isn't it?
Scene number five, we'll wrap it up. Here come the wise men. Wise men still seek after Jesus. They think, wow, that's odd. God did something odd. There's a star hanging over Jerusalem. And from the east, they're like, you know what? I'm going to go see this star. I'm going to go see what God is doing. And I've told you before that this is the essence of spirituality. Where Moses said, huh, that bush is burning. I'm going to go see why that bush is burning, yet it's not consumed. I must go see this great sight. The wise men said, huh, there's a star appeared. And I'm going to go see what's going on. And if God is doing something in your life today, right now, and there's an anomaly in your universe, and God is speaking and God is doing, the wisest thing that you could ever do is leave where you're at right now and go see what is going on. Because God is doing something. Wise men left their home. Because something was interesting. I'm going to take it from the world. Jesus is the most interesting man that ever lived. It's not Dosekis. Is that the name? Jesus is. He's the most interesting man that ever lived. Virgin born. Sinless life. Did not care what anybody thought. Performed miracles and wonders. Had all power, but yet loved the least of these. Condemned to die, accused of blasphemy. And they hung him on a tree and shed all of his blood. For what? Rewind. He shall save his people from their sins. I bet you some of them shepherds thought, you know what? I went and saw that little lamb in Bethlehem 33 years ago. Of course. Lambs have to die for the sins of people. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the what? The sins of the world. And Paul the Apostle says that he is our Passover Lamb. He died on Mount Calvary. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. The most interesting man that ever lived. You should check him out. And he came back to life again. To live forevermore. I don't know anybody else in the universe that's virgin born, sinless, all knowing, all powerful, all loving, and all living today. All living. And he did all of that for me and for you. What a great gift. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Some might think, well, I got my eye on a special gift. I, that, yeah, that's great, but you better keep your eye on Jesus. You better. Okay, let me do another one. You'll know it well. Jesus is the reason for the Some people might say, well, I, don't, I think Jesus was born in July. Great, we'll have two Christmases. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Get two sets of gift cards. I like gift cards. Yeah, I like gift cards. <laughs> don't you? What would you rather have, a spatula or a Cracker Barrel gift card? <laughs> yeah. 
the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Christmas is, isn't it? The gospel of Christ who came to save sinners from their sins to give them life everlasting if only they receive Him as their Savior. This morning, you might not be saved. You might be lost. If you've never trusted in Jesus, the might is taken away and you are lost. You need the Savior. The gift, the season of giving is truly amplified in the Christian church because it reminds us that the greatest gift of all is Jesus and for God so loved the world that He what? That He gave His only begotten Son. Now, are you a whosoever? Anybody here a whosoever? I am. I'm a whosoever, ain't you? I'm glad it ain't just for Randy's or for Lisa's. We got a Lisa here. I bet she's like, yes. I'm glad it's not just for, just for certain people. It's for whosoever, isn't it? For whosoever. Believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit. If God has been working in your life, if there's a star over your soul, if there's a bush that's been burning out there in the wilderness and God is doing something miraculous and what that looks like in our lives is that you're drawn to Jesus. You're interested in Jesus. You have an, a, a strange attraction to the light. You're being drawn. You're being called. On the manger scene, the angel of the Lord says, go and see, go and see. But now we have something greater than the angel now we have the Holy Ghost who He's saying to you if you don't know Christ, He's saying, come and see, come and see Jesus. And who is He? For unto you, you see it, unto you is born a Savior. Now the only way you'll believe on Him if you know you need the Savior. An old timer once said you've got to get lost before you ever get saved. You've got to know you need Him before you ever come to Him. And you've got to be hungry before you ever taste Him and see that He is good. But if the Holy Spirit has put a star in your universe, and He's saying, you come and see. You come and see. Then if I was you, I would drop everything and go behold your Savior. He so said, what do I got to do? I'm closing. You know, some of you might be in a hurry, but if somebody is hearing me, and hearing the gospel, and they're on the edge of death or life, you're going to have to wait a second, okay? Because when the Holy Spirit starts working in their heart, they want to hear it. You think, well, I already got that gift. Well, well, I'm sorry. This ain't a Black Friday deal where, like, you're rushing an elbow in and you got yours and forget everybody else. Hey, we want everybody to have Jesus, don't we? We want everybody to have Him, don't we? This ain't a first come, first serve, and you might think, well, I got mine. Well, that's not even the Spirit of Christ anyway. And do you know Him, if that's true? Today, if God, the Holy Spirit, God's offering you a gift, 
Now, the world is complicated and mightily, but listen how easy it is. All you've got to do is receive the gift. That's it. By faith. Just say yes to Jesus. Jesus said, For whosoever believeth on me should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as Moses, remember the Bible story, was lifted up in the wilderness, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. On a what? On a pole. On a tree. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth on him lifted up. What is he up there doing? You know, don't you? What is he up there for? Why is he dying on a cross? For your sins. Absolutely. And if anybody who looks to Christ for salvation, who died for their sin, the Bible says if you'll believe what Christ has done, if you'll stop working and trust His work, then by grace, which is a free gift freely offered for whosoever, for by grace are you saved through faith. And what is faith? Just look unto Christ. And be ye saved. Just a look. And look here. Nobody looks unless they believe. Isn't that reassuring? Nobody looks unless they believe. And by faith today, you can be saved through the gift of salvation, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? If that's you this morning, you follow the star. <laughs> you follow the sun. As we stand to our feet, what song are we going to sing? Page 81. Good one. Page 81. Just like you are. Without one plea, you don't, I don't have an argument. <laughs>